Coming to you from the mountain fortress of pop culture. You're listening to Time to Talk. I am the number one most impactful artist of our generation. I am Shakespeare in the flesh, Walt Disney. Well, in 1995, Danny stripped for Playboy magazine, and it was a watershed moment. The old, ironically young, dark-haired Danny was left behind, and we gratefully received the new version of Danny. And it must be said it took two rather large hands to receive this new enhanced version of young Minogue. It really does seem like she was a different person before 1995, and she freely admits there was some surgical assistance in that, The more confident Danny that we know and love today was born at this time. And in 1997, her music finally caught up to the new image. And it's interesting to note that after the dismal performance of album number two, entitled Get Into You, Mushroom Records terminated Danny's contract. And that, along with her divorce from Julian McMahon, left her wounded and financially wrecked. You have to admire Danny during this period. The girl album and the new hot look wasn't just artistic reinvention. This was a genuine matter of survival. Keaton, Josh and Simon G'day. Hello. 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 Simon, I'm sorry to say that this is a mundane, monotonous little piece of work, isn't it? What? It is. It's a terrible album. I'm not glorifying that with a response. (laughs) <laughs> well, this is going to be a very short podcast. I'm going to... <laughs> I, don't, I, I don't know if it's nostalgia, but I just really, really, really love it. And I think it was really kind of innovative for the time. We will. I know. I've seen the description that it was cutting edge and all of this sort of stuff. Bzz, don't think so. And I do have to ask you, Keaton, can you repeat your famous quote from the chat before this podcast? Oh, yes. So uh, it seemed like... Uh, there was a presumption that I probably was well-versed with Danny's work, but I have never actually listened to any Danny Minogue song. I couldn't name one if I tried. <gasps> Shock. Simon. I know. You've got, you've got a, a potential convertee. On I know. Line. I am what ready to be converted. I'm so excited right now. Go on, Simon. Do your best. You know, pretend you're in the Church of Scientology and you've got your arm <laughs> around him. He's in the mall. Yeah. And you've went up to him and you've gone, excuse me, sir, do you mind just sparing me two minutes of your time? It could change your life. Go on, take it away. I'd like to talk to you about Danny Minogue. Um, <laughs> yes. I, I, we, we all know I love Danny, regardless of whether I have previously tried to rewrite history in the, in the other podcasts about her. Um, but You did get smashed about that, didn't you? Yeah, apparently. Um, <laughs> I, but I know I love Danny. I think she's great. And I think this album's really, really awesome. Um, and as I say, it was very kind of cutting edge and, and interesting for the time period, especially because obviously she was spending a lot of time in the UK and it was very kind of UK dance music fueled and mm. IB fueled. And yeah, she's always been quite a big dance artist over here. And Keaton, you. I said before you popped onto this chat that if if Danny's work is anything like her sister's, then you're clearly going to be a fan. I can tell you her her work is not like her sister's. Okay, then. I See, I disagree with that because I think that this album 
and Neon Nights were very similar to the Kylie albums that came out around the same time. But we'll get there. Okay. What, like Impossible <laughs> Princess and things like that? Yeah. No. This actually came out before Impossible Princess. Only by about a month and a half. Mm-hmm. Impossible Princess was released yeah, in 96. No, 97. No, yeah, you're right, actually. Yeah, I think it was 97, so, yeah. So they were quite close I am right, to yeah. each other. I checked so I didn't get posted in the comments again. So what, what are you trying to imply here, that, that Kylie copied Danny? No, I think I think it's interesting because with this and Neon Knights, there's such a similarity between like the kind of vague sound. And I don't necessarily think that either of them copied the other one, but I think they just have a very similar taste in music and quite often they listen to the same sorts of things. And sure. I think they were probably just listening to a lot of the same sort of stuff around those mm. two albums. There is a, there's, there's a desperation in this album for me and, and a, people call it cutting edge. This is Danny trying very hard to be cool and it, it just comes across as monotonous. We're going to get into it. I promise you're going to have your right of reply. But Thanks. good old Josh, you've got some background to the girl album, don't you? Yeah. So um, initially, so back in 95, before she left, before her divorce from Julian and being dropped, she was working on an album. And those songs did eventually see the light of day in the 1995 Sessions compilation, which was released in 2009. Um, one of the songs, which was Coconut, was taken over and remixed and put onto Girl. Um, she was dropped then from Mushroom Records, who were her label in the UK as well, because MCA dropped her after the release of Get Into You as well. And she later signed with Eternal Records, who were part of Warner Brothers, and they looked at setting her career worldwide um all i want to do obviously came out and then was a massive was was a big success particularly in the uk and australia and in the uk it's actually her highest selling single um however the the actual album didn't do very well it only got it actually charted lower than get into you it only got to number 57 um but i think it's i've noticed a lot with a lot of dance artists their albums don't chart very high mm compared to their singles, so mm. I wouldn't necessarily call it, but it is probably one of her most well-received records anyway. It is. It's quite ironic that the critical reception to this was was very good, but it didn't perform well. In fact, it'd be fair to say it tanked. It really did. It just tanked. It, it, but it did set her up in the right direction, ready for neon lights. I mean, the album tanked, but the singles were all number one on the dance charts over here. Yeah. And two of them were top 20, one of them was top five. So it like it didn't tank. Like people still remember the out like people still remember um, the singles, but yeah, as an album. And Kylie around this time as well, her singles were charting um lower than what Danny's were even. Yeah. Wow, interesting. They were everywhere kind of on like TV and um, as I said, number one on the dance charts, which in the UK was never like a massive thing, but we used to have this thing called the chart show where you'd see the charts in like different areas. Whereas in America, like the dance charts is quite a big thing. Um, mm-hmm. In the UK, it's kind of not really that interesting anymore, but it used to be when you have the chart show and you'd see who was number one. And yeah, she was number one on the dance charts with all three singles, um, which I think is good considering 
the album fared so poorly, you can kind of see where it was all going. John Lucas from All Music, he complimented the album when it was released. He wrote, The music is no longer so concerned with aping American trends. It was clearly influenced by the British dance club sounds of the mid-90s. In short, Danny was finally carving an identity for herself. And that is so true of this girl album. I've got to say the cover art of this um, album is beautiful as well. I mean, look, she was looking unbelievable at this time yeah. too. Unbelievable. Mm. Tell us about the All I Want to Do video, someone. So it's got a kind of early internet, um, phone sex, web chat kind of vibe. There's like an old internet browser on a TV, on a like a monitor and somebody's watching it and she's talking into a phone and, and it's kind of intercut between her talking on the phone in her um, bedroom and obviously trying to be sexy and then randomly riding a motorcycle yeah it's like why is she on a motorcycle she drives a lot in these because she's she drives in the um everything i wanted video as well so it's like i don't know if it was a theme sometimes amateurs know best and a lack of professionalism is all you'll hear on the time to talk show join tim and his panel of guests as they wade their way through a range of news music and pop culture treats time to talk the show hosted by amateurs for unprofessional listeners. I'm going to check in with Keaton at this point. Keaton, so far, are you convinced to go and listen to this album or not sold yet? Uh, I think I definitely will. I do love the influences of like British dance and Euro pop cultures, and uh, especially that video that you mentioned. It definitely sounds similarly kind of the concept sorry to bring it back but it sounds like the confide in me video with that whole yeah all in phone service kind of thing it's not so, very different not to bring back the comparison but it is very different and it's not as good as the confide in me video i don't think it does okay. look very it is quite dated now yeah okay. interestingly the song um along with a couple of the songs on the album was written and produced by brian higgins who was who was a big part of xenomania who produced and, and um, wrote all of Girls Aloud stuff. Oh, okay. And Believe, for sure. Oh, so okay. it's got that kind of thing. Oh, now it's edgier. Yeah. Okay. It's edgier than all of that. It's kind of a bit more kind of drum and bass breakbeaty, but it's 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 that writing team. So, um, yeah, it's good. This single came out, obviously, before the album was released, and it did. It marked a, a big moment for Danny. It was like, hang on, is that Danny? She looks different. There was, uh, she set the media abuzz, what type of work has she had done? Because clearly she'd had a, a lot done. She'd already in 95 um, sort of acknowledged that she'd had breast enhancement, but she'd gone a lot further by this stage and Botox was definitely her friend. The sound of All I Want to Do, very mysterious. And I've got to say, she can sing this live. The question was asked, oh, this is interesting. I wonder if she can actually sing it live or if they've done it all in the studio. I've watched Danny sing this live many times. She can do it because yeah. it's not an easy song to sing. Mm. No, it's got a similar kind of higher register to confide in me, I suppose, in a way. Yeah. Um, and yeah, but no, I mean, we've, t we've talked about this, but Danny's got a great voice. It's Amazing is the track that I'm thinking of. I mean, she really gets to prove her pipes it's a bit theatrical that song as well what other tracks stand out for you guys off this album besides keaton who's here to here to learn um i really like um it's amazing 
Um, so in love with yourself as well. I do like that one. That's very sort of almost sort of like Ibiza and trance even that song. I love mm. that. It reminds me even it's sort of the bridgeway sort of to who do you love now? Yeah. Um, I love Am I Dreaming as well. That's got mm. such a great atmosphere to it. Terrible track. Oh. <laughs> Terrible. Oh, God. You guys will be able to point me in the right direction. There is a track on this album where she has the audacity. She's Danny Minogue. She's not Michael Jackson or Janet Jackson or Madonna. She's got the audacity to create a track that's 11 and a half minutes long. Which one is it that? Means How dare she? That's just rude and egotistical. It's another Brian Higgins track as well. Um, Absolutely appalling. And it, it doesn't go in different directions. It's, it doesn't take you off, you know, when it gets three minutes in into a new space. It just keeps repeating the same mundane, boring old tripe for seven and a half minutes. It's a club track. That's the entire point of it. I don't care. <laughs> and it's right at the end of the album, so it kind of rounds the album out quite well, I think. And I've got to say that one of the worst tracks... Ever. Everybody changes underwater. Oh, that's his that's one of my favourites. Oh, I actually hate that song. I love it. I tell you something, Simon, everybody in this particular studio should have been held underwater. This is a crime against music. Oh my goodness. <laughs> it's so chill and so it's really kind of like Cafe Del Mar and it's so kind of chill and like lush and produced really well and the soundscape's really nice and i love it it kind of you know, i always thought it sounded like what i imagined it was like to be in a flotation tank oh. hmm. she loved water danny has always loved water like she absolutely adores it and it comes through in her video clips in her work in her lyrics um so you know that's the one thing i'll say about this it's an acknowledgement that danny loves water so if there's anything <laughs> good about it there it is josh this track because, I mean, it's, it has to be talked about because it's quite outrageously bad. I, I just don't think it really fits. That's just my opinion. I just I think the backing track to it's in, incredible. I just don't like the voice on it. Do, do you know, um, we had this conversation, Tim, about when albums used to be on cassette and you'd mm-hmm. get a definite end of side one and beginning of side two. We had it with, the, um, with Rhythm Nation, didn't we? We talked about. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I had this on cassette, and everybody changes underwater was the last track on the first side, mm. and it really felt like it fitted at that point in the album, especially if you only listen to the first half, which when you've got it on cassette, sometimes you would. And I do wonder if maybe, like a lot of albums at that point, it was devised more kind of with cassette in mind than anything else, which is why, although this was ninety seven. You know, a lot of people were still buying stuff on cassette, and I wondered if they kind of were still doing albums in, like, two halves. I'm pretty convinced, and I got to say, I think I'm on Simon's side for this underwater song. I definitely love songs that are very chill, sounds, like, very atmospheric. I love music like that, so I'm convinced to listen to any and all tracks, so. Uh, Disremembrance is a brilliant song. That, again, her vocals on that are incredible as well. Um, Yeah, it's it's a really, it's a beautiful song. Actually, yeah, I do. I do prefer the Trouser Enthusiast mix of it though over the original. <laughs> I have to go and listen to that. I don't. don't think it I've is. Heard it. I think it's actually even better than the regular album version. Yeah, no, it's great. All the remixes are great. I think actually of this album, there's like the the version that came out in two thousand and nine. 
or 2007 that was the double CD. Yeah. Has some really, really incredible remixes on it. There's one track that none of you have spoken about yet. Coconut. Um, it was the hidden track, but I had it on cassette, so the cassette didn't have a hidden track on it. So I only heard it about five years ago. I can only say this. Danny really cannot afford to be hiding tracks. It's hard enough getting people to listen to the ones she promotes. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, you got it as a single in Australia, didn't you? Apparently, yeah. Look, I absolutely love Coconut. It's in a lot of my playlists. Um, there's so many mixes. Danny does this throughout her career. There are so many. You never know if people are listening or referring to the same song. I didn't realise that Coconut was actually uh, first released in the 70s, I think, uh, by Harry yeah. Nilsson, apparently. If oh. you listen to his uh, track, it's yeah, the cover. You know, very basic and um, and wonderful. It's a great track. But yeah, I do love what uh, Danny and her crew did to this. It peaked at number 62 on the Aria singles chart. I think it sounds a little bit like it should have been on Light Years. It's got that kind of loungy vibe. Mm. Josh, can I can I tell you something? Yeah. Did you know that the coconut is actually not a nut? <laughs> I have heard that. It's the cocoa fruit of the cocoa tree. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and actually, you know what? I'm going to torment you all just for a moment. Just have a listen to this mm-hmm. uh, for a bit of education. The coconut nut is a giant nut If you eat too much you get very fat Now the coconut nut is a big big nut But this delicious nut is not a nut It's the cocoa fruit It's the cocoa fruit Of the cocoa tree Of the cocoa From the cocoa palm family let's, let's round this off Is this as good as neon lights there Josh? I think it's better, actually. And Neon Nights, for me, is my third favourite of hers. Um, I think Club Disco even comes above Neon Nights, just, just for me personally. Yeah. But, okay. girl, I just love... It's very sort of... I love the British sort of club sound anyway, and I do think she nailed it with this. And, Simon, there was two versions of this album, weren't there? There was the version that came out in 97, and then there was the version that came out in 2007, oh, which okay. was the CD version. Which, and, and were they yeah. the ones with very slightly similar covers? I thought they came closer together than that. Oh, I wasn't aware of this. You're giving me new information. No, I think there was only one version in, in 97. Okay. And then there was, there was a re-released version for the anniversary that had like all the remixes and coconut and stuff on it. Yeah, could just be nostalgic, but I, I, I think it's the edgiest thing she'd done. Even even edgier than Neon Knights, which was really popular, but yeah, not quite as... Uh, there, there's some really interesting sounds on this album, and I love Brian Higgins. So the fact that he... I mean, he's only involved on four tracks, but the fact that he's involved at all um, is definitely something that would still pique my interest now. But yeah, I, I think it's fantastic. No doubt about it. This is edgier than Neon Lights. Neon Lights was slick and professional. It was, yeah, this was the, the groundwork for Neon Lights. All right, Keaton, I'm going to give you the final word. You're going to go and listen to this by the sounds of it. Oh, yeah. I Again, I'm about to go get my first shot of the COVID vaccine. Yay! And I'm definitely going to try to listen to it on the drive there. So 
And it's only coincidence that you're getting a vaccination after listening to this podcast, right? <laughs> <laughs> no coincidence, no, yes. Oh, guys, thank you very much. Thank you, Josh and Keaton and Simon, even though we severely disagree on this one. I say <laughs> don't bother putting it on, but... Good no, fun no, actually, I don't actually mean that. I want people to put it on so that they can leave a comment and, and tell Simon that he's just been nostalgic. <laughs> <laughs> Take care, everyone. <laughs>